this week, what we're going to be looking at is the subject of Jenga and building blocks. All right, how many have ever played Jenga before? It's a lot of fun, isn't it? It's a good game. It's a good game. And um, we've been using the working scripture this whole series out of 1 Corinthians. And I want to start there. I'm not going to have you stand to your feet right now, but I want you to hear this word. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? It goes on. It says, but only one gets the prize. So run in such a way as to get the prize. We ought to run in such a way that we win. Amen? And I understand when it comes to games. change the mic, I would sound more like, um, I don't know, maybe like Charles Stanley or something, but didn't work, didn't work, so, <laughs> all right, so, <clears throat> when it comes to different games that we play, you know, um, obviously you have winners and you have losers, but when it comes to our families, we want to learn over the last few weeks what it takes to win in life and what it takes to win in legacy, and so we've been using these games as jumping off points for that purpose. And last night, if you were able to be here, we had an incredible night last night. Last night, we were able to um, do our family game night. There was probably about 80, 90, 100 people here or so. This place was crammed with people playing games of all types. And if you missed it, I'm sorry, but it was a great night. And, um, and with that, last night, you had winners and you had... Yeah, yeah, because that's how games are. When you're playing games, you have winners and you have... And you have losers from simple games as simple as Connect Four or even a simpler tic-tac-toe all the way up to games like Risk. You know, if you ever play a game of Risk, it can take a long time. But you're going to end up with a winner and you're going to end up with a loser. And sorry, I just want to be able to say to everybody, I'm a winner. How many winners do we have in here? How many sore losers do we have in here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the ones that didn't raise their hand. <laughs> you saw people look over like, like, raise your hand. I know you're a sore sore loser. I know you are. And so I will say this. Last night we played Jenga, you know, and that, that's this game right here. This is kind of a, a, a version of it, and we played Jenga last night. And um, the version we had last night was about this tall, and it went up to high. I could hardly reach it. And, and, and the idea of Jenga is that you start with a structure that is intact, and then the goal of the game is to, like, erode the foundation of the structure, causing your opponent to make a fatal flaw bringing the whole structure down, leaving you standing as the champion. <laughs> and last night, you know, you could see as we were building this thing, you know, because you start to take pieces. You, you've played it before. You, you begin to take pieces out, and you place them up here. And it was getting more and more precarious. And you could just, the room is playing their games, but they kept over looking you know, at times, and you'd hear them laugh and giggle because it was getting more and more precarious as the thing was getting higher and higher. And I just want to let you guys know, just in the house of God today, you are looking at the undefeated champion of the Momentum Church Sanctuary. Yes, yes. And I'm sorry, Brett. I'm sorry, Jen. I'm sorry, Carl. But you know what? <laughs> just like when you have nerves of steel, it just works, right? And so that game was so much fun yesterday. But I want to talk about how in games, yes, you're right. You have winners and you have losers. The problem with it when it comes to our relationships, it's time to stop playing games, people. Amen? 
When it comes to whether it's your marital relationship, whether it's relationships here in the church, whether it's a relationship you have with a, a family member, maybe a brother or a father, whatever that looks like, yeah, I get it in games there are winners and losers, but in our relationships, we've got to stop playing games. And so what I want to do today, I want to look at a few things at first that allow the weakness, the, the eroding of relationship to take place in our relationships, those things that challenge, if you will, and remove blocks out of a relationship, causing our relationships to become precarious. And so the first thing I want to look at this morning is too often in our relationships, we will draw rigid lines. And so think about it. Like you have a relationship and you have different opinions of things, but you draw a very deep line, a demarcation, and you stand on this side of the line saying, this is how it is. This is how you should see it. If you're intelligent, this is how you'll perceive it, right? So anything else on this side of the line, that person over here must not be intelligent or at least something is going on between their ears that's not right. Because surely, if you're looking at it the way I look at it, you'd be on this side of the line. So too often in our relationships, we draw lines. That's what happens. And so I want us to be careful because the first thing is too often we draw rigid lines in our relationship between what we feel is right and what we feel is wrong. And when I say right and wrong, I'm not speaking to moral quality right now, okay? Because uh, you don't know if it's right or wrong. You think you do, but often our relationships, it's perception. So I'm not speaking to moral right or wrong. I do believe in right, and I believe in wrong, but that's not what I'm speaking of. Listen, too often in relationships, they are strained because people hold on to opinions of how something is viewed or should be done, and they draw that line in such a way that it causes everybody on the other side of that line to be wrong, as you stand there, so often alone, right, all right? And so this invariably means one person is correct, and the other person would then buy by default, be incorrect. And what I'm saying is that too often we draw lines of opinion, and in doing so, we invite people to distance themselves from us relationally, all right? So have you ever ran into a relationship where somebody's just always right, and it causes you just not to want to be, like, you don't want to be around them. It distances your heart from them relationally. So ever play a game with a rule follower? Have you? Like somebody, who any rule followers here today? Okay, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You know, you're playing that game with that rule follower, and they aren't even really focused on the gameplay. They're more focused on what you're doing that's right or what you're doing that's wrong, and they're waiting for the gotcha. Before this service, Charla was talking to myself about how she has seen us in our Wiseman gameplay and how we just kind of make the rules up as we go. Makes games so much more fun. It does. <laughs> but when you're playing with that rule follower, man, that's the first one. The first thing, that rule follower, man, he's just looking. And the problem with it is, if we're not careful, it starts to erode the foundation of that structure, that relationship. And I want you to see in passage scripture here in Luke chapter 13, there was a time when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, on the holy day. Now listen, I didn't put these scriptures on the board for a reason. Because I want you to use the app on your phone, www.mymomentumchurch.tv, and you can go to the notes of today and you'll see all these extra scriptures. Isn't that cool? 
Also, even better yet, you can take it with you this week, and you can open that up, and you can break this down. I'm going to give you a lot today. You can break it down in your devotional life, in your time with the Lord, when you take some time with God in mind, and He can begin to do some work on your heart. But in this passage of Scripture, we see, we see an amazing thing happen, and we see people that are just bent up. Oh, I've been out of shape over this. It says, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself out. When Jesus saw her, he called her over, and he said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. He laid hands on her, and in the woman, immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had ruled on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, each one of you. Not on the Sabbath. Can you, can you imagine that? This woman's getting healed on a, a, let's say, a Sunday service day. You know, it's like, no, what in the world? You can be healed six other days. You know what? For the person that got healed, they didn't care. She just went from, from bent over to being able to stand straight or other stories we see from blind to seeing, etc. And so here, they, the person that gets healed, they don't care how they get healed. And the Lord answered and said, you hypocrites. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the man manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. But you can see in this moment, the rule follower in this moment wanted to draw a line and say, there's no room for discussion here. I don't care if a woman did get healed. If something good is going on, there's no room for discussion. You're wrong. I'm right. Here's the line, Jesus. Jesus is looking at this saying, guys, no. Let's talk about this a little bit. Look what has happened, and even you. You deal with your ox and your donkey. You know, so too often, though, we draw those lines of opinion, and in doing so, we invite people to distance themselves from us relationally. And I want us to, in our minds, when we're dealing with somebody, whether it's in our home, whether it's a different, you know, relationship at work, or even here at the church, be careful when you look at something different from them. Be careful that you don't draw a line. What I want us to do, instead of drawing lines, I want us to draw a circle in our relationships where in that space people can have a difference of opinion but still be in emotional proximity. Do you hear me? So we don't draw a line of demarcation because what that does, that invites distance between you because there's a line. If you want to talk with me, you've got to come on my side of the line. Well, if you're going to talk with me, if you're going to, see, you're going to have to see it from my point. You're going to have to come on my side of the line. And then you both just back up. And this is how a lot of marriages are. You both have your backs to the line. God wants you to turn toward each other. Let's draw a circle and let's a rule follower in the moment. Stop holding on to what you think is right. Let's draw a circle and let's step into the circle, face each other, and begin to discuss and begin to talk through the differences of our opinion. Here's what's neat about that. Watch this. That just might be the place where a miracle happens. Amen? Amen? Amen. Those hypocrites that Jesus spoke of on this side of the line, so staunch that a miracle couldn't even happen. But Jesus came along and brought forth a miracle. And Jesus wants to come along in your relationships as well and bring forth a miracle. So another thing that we can do that will erode away relational foundations, causing what should be strong in our relationships to become weak and to fail, is we can struggle and fail to celebrate wins 
that other people have. Celebrating the wins. And so that would be the person who's the competitive one. There's one right there. Ooh, ooh. The competitive one. I will be honest, last night I was a little competitive. Just a little. The competitive one. In 1 Samuel 18, we see the story of David coming back, having fought the Philistines. And as they were coming back, David was returning. And the women, they came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul and to meet all of them. And they were singing and dancing with the tambourines, with shouts of joy, with three-stringed instruments as they celebrated. And the women began to sing a song of, of, of Saul and David. And they said this. They said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. For Saul, a man like him, who always was worried about posturing and always worried about his station, his position, having to always be right, etc. Man, always being so competitive against young David. Saul's killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. It says Saul was furious and resented this song. I bet he was. It says they, cre they credited tens of thousands to David. He complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? It's, he's already going to be walking into the kingdom. You could see God's hand upon him, the anointing upon him, and that railed against the heart of Saul. And so now it says, so Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. Listen, when it comes down to a person that's competitive, they always want to get out ahead, they always want to win, someone who always needs to stand out. Anybody else have that, that ability to be right? They want to have, anybody else have that ability to, to stand out? And so that competitive person, it, he, he knocks at the foundation of the structure of that relationship. Problem is, eventually, someone who's relationally competitive, they will begin to work against the wins in other people's lives. Not only will they passively look at a situation and be frustrated that they weren't the one that was, 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 um, had the accolades. They weren't the ones that were winning. Not, not, not only will they just kind of be somewhat actively frustrated. No, no, no. They will begin to work against the people in their lives that are winning. Work against those around them. And so that would entail that they would become the cheater. The cheater. The one that anything goes, I'm going to get my way. Anything goes, I'm going to come back around and be ha, ha, have it to where I look, look better in the situation than the other person. In Psalms 41.6, it says, when someone comes to visit, he pretends to be friendly. He thinks of ways to defame me, and when he leaves, he slanders me. This is the one that, for, for many of us, we've stayed out of church because of. Come on, somebody. This is the one where, glory to God, hallelujah, so good to see you, blessed and highly favored, I'm so glad. And the next thing you know, you're with some people. Do you know what she was saying about you? You know what she was talking about? Instantly flipping it and devising a way to shame that person. Can I be honest? Can I just be real honest? Have any of you left relationships? Have you ever been hurt in church relationships? I'll just be honest. That that happened to you, raise your hand. I know I'm going to raise my hand too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, it ought not be, amen, especially in the house of the Lord. But that's that cheater. That's that one that just feels like they got to win at, every at all costs. They can't work together. And then next thing you know, in order for that to happen, they start to slander. Another thing, that final thing, I'm not sure which one I can do. Oh, Lord. There's a good one. I'll do this one here. I like it when they're easy like that. Last night, they weren't all so easy. The final thing that will erode a relationship and that foundation of what you guys have 
would be the idea that, that when, when, when you're struggling to be happy for others, it's not just being competitive, but you are a sore loser. You met people like this. They're the ones, well, they're the ones with their lips stuck out all the time. Just a sore loser. Nothing can make them happy. Sore loser. And so I want you guys to look to the person to the left of you, see if their lips stuck out. Look to the right. Everybody, everybody was like this. Watch this. Watch my lip. Everybody went. My lip ain't stuck out. Speech and harbors deceit within. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is concealed by deception, his evil will be revealed in the assembly. This, this cheater, this sore loser will get found out, right? But I love it here. It says that there are seven abominations in their heart. And so I want to give you authority as your pastor that the next time a person is acting this way towards you, I just want you to look right at them and go, there's seven abominations in your heart. <laughs> no, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. And then be like, come out, <laughs> Jesus. No, you can't do that. So even if they have a demon, if they have a demon, you need to cast it out. But but no, seven abominations. But listen, you'll always be able to spot that sore loser. And the reason why is because sore losers stew. And I'm just going to tell you the honest truth. If you in your home, you're stewing all the time because you're not winning, the object of your heart is wrong. Stop trying to win and begin to be a true partner to your spouse. Amen? Stop trying to have your own way and begin. If you're the one that stews, can I just say it this way? Wah, stop being a baby. Amen? And you know why I can preach that one a little bit more hard? Because, wah, I can stew. I know it's hard for you to believe, right? I can. I can be a bit of a stew. Are my, are my children here? Can I pout? Shut up. <laughs> Dad can pout. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, but that's the thing. i got to be careful of that. So listen, winning a relationship in light of these four things, because what ends up happening is as you're trying to, 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 to erode each other's relationships, eventually it becomes precarious and eventually, it comes, comes down. And last night, that was what everybody was waiting for. It was so loud. Every time it would crash, you know. But listen, winning in a relationship doesn't mean you always have to, to get it right. That doesn't mean you're winning if you always get to be right. No. Winning in a relationship doesn't mean you always get to be first. No. Winning in a relationship doesn't mean you always get to outdo one another. Ah, No. Listen, winning in a relationship comes from mutually building together something that will stand strong. Amen? Amen. And I say mutually building. And that, that's a hard thing because in marriages, it takes two people in the marriage to mutually build, doesn't it? And sometimes you're not afforded that opportunity for both to be building. But I'm just saying, in our hearts, and our relationships, for the most part, we've got to go into it together thinking mutually we're going to build something here. And, and what I want to look at right here is the difference between Jenga. This is Jenga. We'll throw a few more. Ah, destruction in the church. That's fun. There we go. The difference between Jenga and building blocks. There's a difference between them. And I want to look at some building things here because if someone in your life is consistently cheating you, standing against you, looking for ways to tear you down instead of build you up, there comes a point where you do need to step away from that circle even. Amen? I'm not saying you sit there and just take it. No, no. There comes a point where it's like, no, no. We're not trying to mutually build each other here. I need to take a step away. Amen? And that's all right. That's all right. But there's a few things for those that do want to build together. There's a few things that we need to look at. 
If we want to have that building block in our lives, adding to each other. And I want you to stand to your feet. I want to read a portion of scripture. And, and again, there's a lot to this today, a lot of scripture. And what I want you to be able to do this week is take in your devotional time and work your way through these passages of scripture and ask the Lord to show you what you need to change or what you need to do or how you need to view other people in light of the frustrations in your relationships. And so in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 10, this passage of scripture came to me a couple weeks ago. And it's going to be the scripture that shapes our church in 2020. I'm just going to tell you that right now. If you've been here long enough, every year there's something the Lord drops in my spirit. It's usually around September, October, November that he just drops in my spirit for the whole next year. And, and I've never had it come to my heart in August, ever. It just hasn't. And I was looking at this scripture in my devotional life a couple weeks ago, and I could just see it. And I'm like, that's what we need as a church. We need these building blocks as a community of faith. And I don't want to wait till January to begin to bring this forth. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to jump into this now because I think relationally these are the blocks that we need to be able to have healthy relationships. I also believe that to be the Christ follower God wants us to be in 2020 as we go into this new year here in a few months, these are the blocks that God's going to use to shape our teaching schedule. Amen? So as I go through this, you may go, yeah, I'm not coming back in 2020 because the man's going there, you know? And we're going to be looking in 2020 at discipleship and dedication, all right? Woo. Just a scripture says, it says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Let me stop there. Sounds like some promises are packed in there. Amen? Sounds like this year of more. We've been seeing God's promises unfold here in 2019. But watch where God takes them. Okay? God wants to bring blessing. But watch. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, to me, this whole scripture is very relational. I'll get to it in a second why I believe, why I believe that. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Amen? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, over the next few minutes, just continue our conversation in our hearts. Leave us changed because of today. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can have your seats. <clears throat> so as we look at this passage of Scripture, um, I just want you to see how it gets to this place of brotherly affection and love. Do you see that? And isn't that the most difficult thing that we have is relationships at times? It really is. You know, it's like there's an old saying, I don't like it. They'll say, pastors will say this, if it wasn't for people, I'd love ministry. That's, that's junk. I'll just be quite honest. It's like, y'all, people is ministry, period. You know what I mean? That's just ridiculous. If that's your feeling, get out of the job. Because that's all it is, is a job to you. Amen? But no, people, relationships are difficult. And here's what the Lord has shown me in this. We jump to brotherly affection and love 
But that's the last thing. That's the outcropping of all these other building blocks that start to be laid out. Do you see that? So we can handle brotherly affection and we can handle love right if we will begin to go all the way back to faith and virtue and so on. And so the Lord was laying in my heart in this coming year that we're going to go back and begin to work our way through those things. And, and here's something I want you to see. It says that we're to build upon ourselves their faith and then virtue, and so on, I want to give you two other Fs, all right? For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your family. I know it's faith, but let me just throw this out. Supplement your family with these things. How about this? Supplement your friendships with these things. I want to walk us through these, these eight things real quick, and I'm not going to go deep on these. You're going to have to go study these out for yourself. But the first one is faith. And think about it this way. Faith hopes in things that one can't see. That's what faith hopes in. And in your relationships, we need to be able to choose to see what could be, not what currently is. If we're going into a relationship without faith, we're going to struggle. But if we start to have faith, that's a great first foundation. You know what? You are frustrating me to no end, but I'm going to choose to see what could be, not what is. Amen? That's faith. That puts that building block in that relationship. The reason why we have to look at faith, too, is, check this out. You can't see a person's motives. Oh, you think you can. That's what that perception of motive is what gets us in so much trouble with our relationships. Because I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking. Think about husbands and wives. Oh, my gosh, I know exactly what you're going to say. So before they even say it, I formulate a retort to be able to come against what they're going to say. And then when I say that retort, they say what? That's not at all what I'm trying to say. You're missing it. Well, yeah, you are missing it because you're thinking, not listening. Amen? So that idea of faith, no, no, I can't see your motives, so I'm going to have to have faith in the moment while I seek to understand. Does that make sense? And guess what? That doesn't happen on this side of a line. That happens when I draw a circle around the situation and we both step into the circle. I'm going to have faith until I can understand your motives. But in the moment... Man, I just want my, my position. I want my opinion. I just want what I want. All right? Does that make sense? So let's add to that. Now, virtue. That next thing. What is virtue? Vir virtue is the quality of being morally good. That's what virtue is. It speaks of righteousness and integrity and honesty and being respectable in your relationship. That's what virtue is. It speaks of possessing a behavior that shows high moral standard, high moral excellence. And where the word comes from, is rooted, virtue is rooted from the Latin word vir, V-I-R, which means man, all right? And also the word valor comes from the same Latin root. And so it's this idea of a man or having manliness or valor. And over time it became something that marked moral excellence. What I began to think about in light of this was this, that we, when we're in those strained relationships, we need to act like a man, not like a boy. Not like a child. Amen? That was the first thing I was thinking. That I need to come into that situation with virtue. And act like the imago Dei that I am. The image of God in the earth. Every person is made in the image of God. And I need to, in that situation, that relationship, recognize that I'm a man. And guess what? The person I'm dealing with, they are also imago Dei. They are also made in the image of God. And we need to stand in that circle and deal with each other with a sense of virtue. Because we're both to act like men in the situation. Amen? Not whiny children. Amen? I'm, gonna, I'm pointing right back at myself. All right? I like to whine as much as anybody. And here's the reason why I think it's so important to act like a man. We do not have to submit to our base instincts. 
God didn't make you an animal. He made you a man. Amen? And so often when we're in a relational situation, we're struggling, we don't add virtue. We go and we cheat. We go and we try to be competitive. We go and we're a sore loser. You know, those things. Rather than adding that nice, stable, I'm going to act, I'm going to honor you as a man, and I'm going to talk with you like a man. We're going to talk through this. Does that make sense? I'm not going to act in such a way like an animal in this situation. Trying to get my own. Trying to grab my bone and run off. Right? Auburn shaking her head. Well, you didn't like that one, Aubrey? Daddy's girl. Now you're a man. We're not beasts. Amen? Here's the thing about the difference between humans and animals is the degree that we can learn so that we should add next to that virtue, guess what? Knowledge. Amen? Is that neat? So we're going from faith to virtue. Now we're going to add some knowledge. In other words, in those situations, be teachable. But what if I learn something that doesn't support my argument? Learn it then. Amen? Be teachable. Isn't that neat? There's so many times my wife is such a good teacher. If I'll listen, if I'll learn. And there are things you don't know that you need more information about. So you are teachable. You're adding to all that knowledge. You're listening. You're learning. You're trying to hear the heart of the matter. And so listen. Be teachable. Also, there's things the other person you are frustrated with that they may be dealing with that you just don't even know. Would you add to that situation knowledge? Why are they having such a day like this that it's straining the relationship? Add knowledge. Get information. Seek out that matter and then contain that matter. Don't seek out that matter and then exploit that matter. Amen? But contain it and minister to that person and be able to have that relationship held up strong. And so you end up with the building block of, of knowledge in the middle of that. And so now what are you going to do with that knowledge? Once you have some information, you're going to walk in self-control. Okay? You see how these build on each other? You're going to walk in self-control. Ooh, I got some information. Mm, I'm so excited. Ooh, it's juicy. Can't help myself. I got to tell somebody. Just got to tell somebody. You ever see that Saturday Night Live bit? Don't make me sing. Don't make me sing. The lady wants to bust out in a song. Don't make me sing. Another lady, she wants to bust out in lies. and She just can't. Uh, we're fighting against our flesh. No, no. Self-control. Hold on to that matter. And here's the thing, God isn't going to do this for you. Once you have that information, no, no, self-control. You may have knowledge, but the application of that knowledge is your responsibility. The application of that is that self-control. And there's going to be things that you're going to learn in that conversation that you're going to now be responsible to act upon, okay? There's going to be some other things that you're going to learn in that conversation that you're going to be responsible to not act upon, to stop doing, okay? But it, it's the idea of self-control. The next one is steadfastness. Steadfastness. We add to self-control steadfastness. That means to be firm and dependable. To be firm and dependable. The old English word for steadfastness is a combination of two words, steed, which means place, and faced, which means firmly fixed. Steed-faced. And that idea of being firmly fixed. It's a picture of a person standing firmly in place, not wavering or budging, but following through with determination. And our determination when it comes to our relationships shouldn't be to erode the foundation. Our determination should be to understand the other person. 
To be able to see God's grace manifest between the two of you. To be able to see a miracle manifest in the midst of what you're going through. That should be our determination. To be able to have koinonia, which is the Greek word for fellowship, which just means common ground. To have a place that we can be firmly rooted in to have fellowship, to have common ground. That doesn't happen unless we share that circle. Does that make sense? I can draw a line, and now I have ground over here, and you have ground over there. And you know what? I'm hoping this is higher ground to give me an advantage. But if we have shared space, if we're steadfast, taking firm stance with each other in this place of understanding, we can have fellowship. And that doesn't mean that we always agree on everything. How many here disagree with me about some stuff? You're a board member. Are you kidding me? You're not, you're not allowed to disagree with me. You have to just be a yes person and do whatever pastor wants. And yeah, you haven't met my board. That is not how it is. Not at all. I love that. that, that but we have common ground, don't we? There's a place of common ground where we talk through whatever it is that we're talking through. Same way with staff, you know. It's not a just my way or the highway kind of place. Because you know why? There's times your pastor's wrong. Not often. <laughs> and you know I'll play the God card once in a while. Once a, when we came to this building, I played the God card. There is no reason why we should have had this building. Financially, we weren't in a place for it. I knew God said this was our building. And I told the board, and the board was like, Ross, what, are you kidding me? You know, I, was like, I know it's God. We've got to go after this. Man, God has just done such an amazing thing here. Give him some praise. Amen. But there's got to be a teachableness. There's got to be a sense of that. There's got to be a sense of steadfastness together that we're finding that common place, even in places of disagreement, that we're working through those things with each other. And the reason why is because we're embracing godliness. We're embracing in those differences the character of God. Godliness is the act of devotion by which we conform to the laws and heart of our God. And we're devoted to Him as we're dealing with the other person. Our devotion goes upward and then it goes horizontally. Amen? And so godliness, and, and you know, the truth of the matter is when it comes to godliness, that's that peace that you carry between that relationship. That's that joy that you carry. That's that honor that you carry between each other. That's that compassion. That's that patience. That's all those things are just marks of godliness. I know that because God, he could have looked at me and, and, and shoved me away, but he didn't. In relationship, he welcomed me into that circle, that common place of fellowship with him. And so that's godliness. But here's the thing. Will people know you are believers because of your love for God? No. Scripture says people are going to know you're believers because of your love for one another. Now we get to brotherly affection. You see how all this keeps adding up to that place of expression? And so brotherly affection, affection is dedicated care and concern for each other. Even in the midst of those differences, even in the midst of that, where you're threatened, you feel like you should be a cheater in this or a competitor, or you feel like you want to go back to those old ways. No, 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 I don't want to do that, Lord. I want to be able to be one that is adding these blocks to this structure that is our relationship. And I'm adding to it brotherly affection. Will our relationships still be challenged at times? Yes. Yeah, they'll be challenged at times. But just like the love of God, when we challenge our walk with Him, He still comes towards us and loves us. Even while we were yet still sinners, He died for us. It's the same way. I want to still show brotherly affection for people who at times will have tension with me if they'll let us find common ground to be able to work through those things. 
Now, I will be the, la- I'll be the first to tell you, if they will not have common ground and work through it, bye, Felicia. All right? I, I'm not trying to sound cold, but you don't have enough time. The days are evil. We've got things to build, lives to change, marriages to heal, you know, your, your children to raise. You don't have time. Now, obviously, if you're a husband and a wife, you've got to work through all those things. Get counseling. Come talk to people. Get, 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 get encouraged, you know. But I'm just saying when it comes down to this, this idea of God's love, that's how the world sees us, is when we're showing that same kind of love toward our brothers and toward our sisters in the Lord. And the final thing, and we'll close with love, is just, it's just that. It's the expression of who God is manifesting in our lives. And it's creating a strong, strong foundation. And let's stand to our feet. I didn't give a ton of anecdotal stories and things like that today. I'm just giving you a bunch of stuff to think about. Is that all right? I want you to take this home. Go to mymomentumchurch.tv. Get that app. Go to that study page for the notes for this service. And this week in your devotional life, look at those four things. Am I eroding relationships because of one of those four things? And then also look at these eight blocks. Am I living in such a way that I'm trying to live out these blocks and walk through it? The final block is love. And it really just sums it all up. And we've heard this passage so many times, but I just want to say, because isn't this what we want in our this is what we want? Love is when it comes to our, our families, when it comes to our church relationships, isn't this what we want? Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's what we want, amen? So stop tearing down and start building using these blocks. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and yes, love. There's a promise behind all of this. And the promise sounds very similar to verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13 where it said love, or never, love never fails. The promise says in 2 Peter 1, 9 through 10, whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Verse 10, watch this. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Amen? That's what God wants in your relationships. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you help us practice these qualities? Everything within us as humans, our hearts deceive us. Our hearts want to fight for what we want. Our hearts, Lord God, so often push others away. Lord, would you help us to live out these principles? Because we're not playing games. We're living life in a way, Lord God, that is going to win in life and legacy. We're going to fail the next generation. And so, Jesus, we commit ourselves at the close of this series to walk after these truths in your name. Amen. Give God some praise. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.